Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. God doesn't want to steal your joy. He wants to give you joy. What kind of joy? Profound joy, secure joy, confident joy. And how can you have that? The only single way you can have that in your Christian life is to know for sure that what you're doing is biblical. And you can't do that without doing your homework. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. But how do we find this abundant life? Is it something we discover? Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is helping us better understand what it means to live according to God's will by studying an event from David's life in 2 Samuel. God promises to give us abundant life, but we need to be obedient to His word. We're finding joy in serving a dangerous God. Well, let's get started. You look back at it again, 2 Samuel 6, 3. The text says that they took the ark of God and they put it on a new cart. Okay, now our memories aren't that bad, right? I don't need another reminder by the end of the verse, but by the end of the verse, they have to add this to tell us again that, you know, you got the house of Abinadab, you got this hill, you got Uzzah and Ahio, and they're all guiding the, this thing. And, and it says at the bottom, the last two words of verse 3, what? It was on a new cart. Okay, now you don't really need to repeat that, do you? <laughs> Just tell me it was the ark or that it was on the cart. You don't have to say new cart. Well, if you've studied with us from the first book of Samuel, it's even ironic in our English Bibles, it's in the same chapter. First Samuel chapter six reflects first, second Samuel chapter six. And in first Samuel chapter six, you don't need to turn there, but you might remember the story if you've been with us through our study. The Philistines at one time in history captured the ark. Do you remember that? And God pounded them and reminded them, this is not for you, Philistines, this is Israel's ark. And so when they'd had enough pounding from God, they finally said, forget it, we don't want this Israeli box anymore, let's send it back. And they got all the diviners and all the priests of the Philistines, which are a bunch of pagan astrologers, and they said, hey guys, what should we do? How should we get this ark back to the Israelites? And these pagans, without the help of Scripture, without any knowledge of God's word, they said, you know what, let's just put it on a new cart. Same Hebrew phrase. And we'll send it on a new cart back to the Israelis and hopefully they'll get it and everything will be fine. And sure enough, guess what happens? The Israelis see the ark coming on a new cart. Some oxen are, are pulling this along and there it is. And then it stayed in the house of Abinadab on this hill and that was the end of the story. When David decided to move the cart from Abinadab's house to the city of Zion, he said, you know what? It was good enough for the Philistines. <laughs> we might as well just use the same mode of transportation. God didn't seem to disapprove of that in their decision making. God didn't seem to zap anybody with lightning when they did it. Let's just do that. And you know, I just want to say, it is easy for us to feel good about our lives when we're busy comparing ourselves with others instead of comparing ourselves with God's word. And that's exactly, I think, what was going on in the second book of Samuel chapter 6. They said, you know what, they did it. No problem there. And God said, you know what, it doesn't matter what they do. I've got some concerns about what you do. Now, so far, if you're insightful, you look at the five verses and say, I don't see any disapproval from God. Keep reading. 2 Samuel chapter 6, 
verse number six. The text says, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. And Yahweh's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark. <laughs> Nothing like somebody dying in the middle of the party to mess everything up, right? I mean, they're having a great time and then this guy drops dead. And he drops dead because if you read there in Numbers chapter 4, you're not supposed to touch the ark. You don't touch the holy things. Not only did we have just any old folks in the Levitical tribe transporting the ark, the Kohathites were not researched, the Kohathites were not taken. They have guys carrying the ark or transporting the ark on a cart, and when the oxen stumbled, Uzzah reached out, stabilized the ark. God says, you know what? Mm, not happy with that. This ought to tell us something about compromise, too. When we compromise in our lives with the little things, it seems to lead to bigger and bigger things. No one thought that anyone was going to touch that ark that day. No one thought that Uzzah was going to die because he violated Scripture. But it all started with the leadership's decision to compromise and put this thing on a cart instead of carrying it on the shoulders of the Kohathites. And Uzzah reaches out to stabilize it, and I know you've got to empathize with this guy, and I know you feel bad that God would zap him for doing this, but God had had enough. You guys have neglected my word. Oh, fine, the Philistines, they do their own thing, but I expect you guys to follow the book of instructions I gave you. And since you've compromised, and now it's leading to greater compromise and more compromise, I've got to put an end to this. And though I know you see God's wrath and his severity in this passage, remember this, when there were people in the city of Beth Shemesh looking into the ark, he killed 70 in one day, God did for their irreverent act. So we ought to praise God. God only took one person out. He could have taken out the whole parade of 30,000. But God says, David, wake up. David, you're not doing this right. David, you're compromising. So God reaches down. And with the sacrifice of one man, God says, hey, everybody, stop your partying. And much like that passage in James chapter 4, where James pleads with people who are in compromise, and he says, let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy be turned to gloom. What's he saying? He's saying some of us are so busy being happy, and God is so busy being upset with us. we got to, at some point, have God break through into our joy and say, that's enough. You may be happy, but I'm not happy. And it's called discipline. He inflicts pain in our lives until he gets our attention. Has he done that in your life lately? <laughs> the Bible says if he's not done that in your life, you're not a Christian. Did you know that? You might want to turn there. Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says that you and I as Christians undergo regular discipline. Unless you're perfect and totally Christ-like, then you have sin in your life that God deals with, and he deals with it by getting your attention through painful circumstances. Sometimes through sickness, illness, pain of someone else in our family. Sometimes through financial problems. He'll say, listen, i got to get your attention. Hebrews chapter 12. The text says when we feel that spanking in our lives, we ought to be encouraged. I know that's very hard, but look at verse 5. Basically saying what? Don't forget that word of encouragement that was addressed to you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Now, I know that's going to be hard for me to get across to David at this point. When David is saying, uh, but, 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 but they did it. 
And the distinction should have been made in the mind and in the lips of some wise person. I know they did it and got away with it, but you're not doing it and getting away with it because God's love toward you is different than God's love toward them. Oh, the Philistines, he'll let them do it, but he's not going to let you do it because he loves you. You're his son. You know, I don't spend any time disciplining my neighbor's kids. I'm tempted to sometimes, but I've never done it. I don't discipline my neighbor's kids because I don't love my neighbor's kids like I love my own children. You see, and when my children do things that are potentially damaging, things that will hurt them and ultimately corrupt their lives in some way, it may be as simple as a toddler reaching to turn on the stove, he's going to get his hand slapped. Why? Because if dad can inflict some pain in his life so that he doesn't burn down the house or burn the skin off of his hand, then I'm going to show my love for him because I'm going to discipline him as a father loves a son and says, don't do that, that can hurt you. And God knew that if David continued in this path of not consulting God's word and doing what he felt was best hastily without really consulting the word of God, he knew that would lead to David's demise. And so he says, David, stop it. And he ends his party with a funeral. And he says, you know what? Time for you to wake up to the truth that you can't live the Christian life on your feelings you got to live the Christian life based on God's word. And the text says you got to recognize that's the love of God at work in your life. I know it's hard, but the Bible says he scourges or spanks, really literally is the word, bottom of verse 6, he spanks everyone he accepts as his son. So endure hardship as discipline. God's treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined and everybody undergoes it, then you're illegitimate children. You're not true sons. Look at verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. So the great idea here in this passage is if God's spanking you, you ought to be encouraged. Let's go back to our passage and see how David responded. 2 Samuel chapter 6. David gets spanked by his party ending in one of his key men's funerals. He's got a mourning, grieving crowd on his hands now. He's trying to do something good. He's got the right motive. He's, he's endeavoring to do some great thing for God, and God spanks him right in the middle of the process. David encouraged by that. David's saying, look how much God loves us compared to the Philistines. Look at how he's not letting us wander our own way. No, he responds a lot of the times like you and I respond. Verse 8, David was, what, angry. <laughs> He's ticked off, man. God, what are you doing? I'm doing the right thing. I've got the right motive. I'm trying to get your ark into the city so people, nah. What are you doing? God, you're breaking it. You killed this guy. I can't even believe it. Drop down to verse 9. Another response of David. David was afraid. He's afraid of the Lord. How afraid? He said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He wasn't willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the nearest Levite he could find in the phone book, Obed-Edom, the Gittite. He said, here, you take this thing. I don't want it. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. <laughs> Obed-Edom made out all right. David went home kicking the dirt. Two responses, angry and afraid. This may shock you, the next thing I'm going to say. But I think that response of anger and fear was the right response. Just directed in the wrong way. You see, when God disciplines and spanks you for compromise in your life, I think you should get angry. You shouldn't get angry at God. 
You should get angry at your sin. David should have been angry at his hasty move to move the ark without consulting the scripture. He should have been angry at his undisciplined approach to serving God. He should have been angry that they didn't sit down and pray about this and inquire of God as to how to do it. He should have been angry, all right. He should have been angry at God. He should have been angry at himself. And fear? Don't think that was the wrong response. That was the right response. He ought to fear God. We serve a dangerous, unsafe God. He's the king of the universe with a word could snuff your life out. And I stand in awe of that creator, and you should too. That's the right response. The problem is he let that fear turn into what? Retreat. Uh, I'm not going to do it. Forget it then. Fear should not lead us to retreat. Fear should lead us to the word. And when fear leads us to the word of God, to go carefully in the prescribed ways of the Lord, then it doesn't lead to thwarting our progress. It leads to moving us forward. David let discipline bum him out. When he did, he messed his life up for three months. If you're taking notes, that's the second lesson to learn in the middle of our passage. We need to recognize that discipline is something in our lives that God does for good. I put it this way, don't let discipline, or if you want to put it in the vernacular, don't let spankings bum you out. Don't let them stop your forward progress. Don't let God's discipline, his pain, your sickness, your illness, your family's troubles, your financial problems, whatever it is that God is using to get your attention through a painful circumstance, don't let that send you into despair and frustration. Let it get, get angry, that's fine. And get, get fearful, that's great. But get angry at your sin and be fearful of God that leads you to Bible study, not to retreat, not to pulling back on serving God. Because you know what happens when you pull back from serving God when he's spanking you? This may sound too elementary, but you know what? Here it is. If you look at the last little verse here in this section, verse number 14, or verse number 11, rather, you miss out. <laughs> Why do you think God made it such a good deal for Obed-Edom to keep the ark of God in his garage? Huh? Why was that a good thing? All of a sudden, God starts heaping all this wonderful blessing on him. And I don't know what that meant. His wife was a sweeter gal. His kids obeyed him. I don't know what happened. His, his, his crops flourished. But whatever, he's having a great time. And that started to get to David, because if you look at it in the next verse, verse number 12, someone tells the king, hey, Yahweh has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. <laughs> You're missing out, David. You're missing out. You're missing out. So the Bible says David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom. Now stop right there. If you read that much, you may say, okay, well, he's just going to try it again. No, there's something that takes place in the parallel passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 15 fills in the blanks for us. Could you keep your finger here and turn there for just a few minutes? 1 Chronicles chapter 15 explains that it wasn't just David saying, okay, shucks, I'm missing out. God wants to bless whoever's got the ark and the city that the ark is in. So I'm just going to go try this again. It wasn't like that at all. There was something that David did that was critical. Three months of a bad response. Three months of being bummed out about God's discipline. But something's about to happen. And it happens on the heels of Bible study. First Chronicles chapter 15, are you there? Verse 2, David said, No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. That's a good idea. Where'd you get that idea, Dave? Because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and minister before him forever. Drop your eyes down to verse 12 after this long list of taking a census and finding out who the Kohathites were and counting them off, guys that were 30 to 50 years old and all of that. It says in verse 12, he says to them, you are the heads of the Levitical families and you and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to, place, to the place I prepared for it. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. Note this carefully, underline it. We did not inquire of him 
about how to do it in the prescribed way. <laughs> we weren't paying attention to the Bible. So the priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, and the Levites carried the ark of God on a cart, right? No. Carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders, just as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. Do you understand how important it is that you live your life in accordance with the prescribed precepts of God's word? It is so critical. Oh, cutting a few corners here and there, it won't hang. In the Christian life, it's not going to make it. That won't cut it. And God will spank you until he gets your attention. He won't let you go merrily on your way. And he'll say, stop. Is that because God doesn't want us happy? No. Get this carefully. It's because he wants to be happy when you're happy. Problem was, in the first section of our passage, David was happy, God was upset. Second part of our passage, God displays his unhappiness and David's unhappy. <laughs> okay, now this is great, right? No, that's not what God wants. God wants David to go back to the Word, find out how to transport the cart, and do it right. And then you know what? That's exactly what happens. Back to our passage, 2 Samuel chapter 6. What happens? They start moving the ark from the place they'd left it at Oban-Edom's house to the city of Zion. And it says that he did it, bottom of verse 12, last two words. What does it say? With, say it, rejoicing. He did it with rejoicing. Something happens in that little tiny verse that is so critical. God gets happy and Dave gets happy. <laughs> Why? Because he did his homework. And he said, here's how I'm going to do my job. Here's how I'm going to live my life. Here's how I'm going to conduct myself in my marriage. Here's how I'm going to parent my kids. And I'm going to blame it on the Bible because the Bible tells me how to do it. He did it in the prescribed way. And guess what it brought in his life? Great joy. If you think the fear of responding to a God who disciplines is some way incompatible with joy, then you haven't read this passage. Verse 13, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he, that is David, sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Now the text is a little unclear here, but it seems to be, and most commentators would agree, that probably what was happening was every six steps for the remaining part of this trip, maybe eight miles, who knows, six miles left. I don't know how long it was. They were taking six steps. They were rejoicing. They were singing. And then they'd stop and have a quick prayer meeting. <laughs> you know, uh, let's, uh, let's just stop right now and just we'll give God an offering and, and we'll just pray for his blessing on our trip. And then the text goes on and says, David, in verse 14, was wearing a linen ephod and he danced before Yahweh with all his might. Was he happy? Truly, sincerely rejoicing? You bet he was. Dancing. Look at that. My goodness. Think about what that means. He is out there rejoicing and dancing before God and stopping every six steps and saying, God, I just want you to be blessed by what we're doing right now. Here's this offering. We love you. We respect you. We revere you. We're trying to do this right. Okay. Bop, bop, and off they go for another six steps. And the Bible says, last words in verse 15, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. First part of the passage, Dave was happy, God was upset. Second part of the passage, God expresses his displeasure and Dave's upset. Three months he stays in that state. He's bummed out because of God's discipline. The great news is, in the last part of this passage, third thing in your outline, David finds joy in careful obedience. That's critical. David finds joy in careful obedience. 
God doesn't want to steal your joy. He wants to give you joy. What kind of joy? Profound joy, secure joy, confident joy. And how can you have that? The only single way you can have that in your Christian life is to know for sure that what you're doing is biblical. And you can't do that without doing your homework. That's why every time we get up here on this platform, we talk about you spending time in the Word. How important is that? How important is it that you open that book and study it Monday through Friday? It's critically important. When you do that, you know what happens? You find happiness is a huge byproduct. You have confidence that you're doing this the way God intended. Joy and fear, they're not mutually exclusive. Matter of fact, they go hand in hand. Without them in the Christian life, you're in grave danger. But when you have them together, then you can be assured that your happiness reflects God's happiness. You and I have a good king and a good God. But he's also a God that demands and requires adherence to the word. Let us be serious about pursuing careful obedience and it will bring joy and it will bring happiness as the byproduct. They never forgot that he was a lion. You're listening to Pastor Mike Fabares and the second half of a message titled, Finding Joy in Serving a Dangerous God. This is Focal Point. If you'd like to listen to this entire message uninterrupted, just go to focalpointradio.org. Well, with the election season behind us, I think we were all hoping for some relief from the rampant contention in our country. But people are just as divided as before. Yeah, Dave, tensions are high, no doubt about that. If I had to pick a word, though, to describe what's going on, it just would be confusion, right? This place is confused. This country is confused. There's so many lies masquerading as truth out there. People don't know how to tell fact from fiction. And that's why more than ever, I'm wholly committed to the mission of Focal Point. Right? We want this daily program to be a source of clarity in a land of confusion. I'd like it to be some sanity in a, in a crazy world, some rest, some spiritual rest, some mental rest amid all the stuff that's going on out there. Just a voice, a beacon of truth with all the falsehood that's out there. That's what we want. We want to see these programs every day make a difference. Offer all of these resources through our website, our app, and on the radio, all for free because of the generous support of people like you. And that really is where this happens. It happens because we join together to make it happen, right? When we say we're running a lean ministry, we, we are. I mean, we really are an army of volunteers every single day helping to make this happen with a very lean staff and so much that's going on behind the scenes by people just sacrificing their time. It doesn't mean there's not expenses. Clearly there are. And we get bills every single month just like you do. And it's the generosity of our Focal Point listeners that keep us on the air, keep us going strong. So this December, if you would, if you pray about it, think about it, if you would commit to it, it'd be great to have you step forward with a special year-end gift to help Focal Point. Whatever that amount is, it goes directly toward fueling the ministry and reaching even more people with the truth. So confusion, I think that's on the forecast. That's not going away. Uh, probably only going to get worse, but here's the good news. We can continue to declare the depths of Scripture in a world that desperately needs to hear it. So thank you so much for joining with me in supporting this ministry and making that happen. To give your special year-end gift to Focal Point, just call us at 888-320-5885. That's 888-320-5885. Or go online to focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. 
You might also consider joining the team of monthly donors called Focal Point Partners. As a partner, your consistent support plays an important role in helping us plan for the future. And we're so grateful. Sign up to become a Focal Point Partner today when you call 888-320-5885 or sign up online at focalpointradio.org. Whether you give a one-time gift or you sign up for monthly support, we'll say thank you by sending you a copy of Kevin Zuber's book called The Essential Scriptures, a handbook of the biblical texts for key doctrines. This is a handy reference that will enhance your Bible study time. Our website again is focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Wednesday as Pastor Mike offers us some tips for zealots. That's coming up Wednesday, right here on Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.